happy holidays. Hope everyone listening in is able to nurture and love themselves throughout this time of year and into the new year. I know for me right now, it is all about self-care, self-care, self-care. If you'd like to join us Christmas Day, we are going to be having a Buddhist Recovery Network online meditation recovery meeting. Vimala Sarat will be holding the space for anyone needing some support on Christmas. It is going to be taking place 9.30 a.m. Pacific Time, which is 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and 5.30 p.m. UK Time. And this is all taking place online on a Zoom call Christmas Day. If you'd like to join us, click the Zoom link that I will be posting in the description. Um, it'll also be on the BuddhistRecovery.org on our website and also on our Facebook page. So if you would like a meditation on Christmas, please join us. Or if you just need some community, we will be holding space for everyone. Okay, today's episode is a replay of Vimala Sara's talk on eating disorders from the panel on taboo addictions. It packs an important message about an experience often not talked about in traditional addiction recovery spaces. Well, I want to say that um, I'm nervous too, and um, my heart is is beating. Um, and I wanna, I, I think of uh, the late um, writer Pat Parker, the African American lesbian writer, who once wrote, first you remember I'm black, and second you forget I'm black." And so I tell myself, first I remember that the majority of you here in this room is white. And second, I forget you're white. Yeah. Because for me, um, going into the rooms of AA just wasn't possible for me. Completely traumatic. traumatic. And uh, even um, Gary, well, no, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a political statement, Gary and I being on this panel together, because once upon a time, I, I would have been completely shit scared sitting next to somebody who looked like Gary because not because of what he looked like but because in England where I grew up people like that did very evil things to black people yeah yeah okay so this thing again it's a taboo often I know many people who are in the rooms uh, I work with uh, people of color in uh, recovery and one of the things they say is, is they can't talk about So I just want to name that. So, um, you know, I was known as the Champagne Charlie girl, okay? And that's sexy to talk about, isn't it? Champagne and Charlie. I used to be the artistic uh, director of London Mardi Gras Arts, so I was involved in organizing the biggest open-air party in London. Yeah. 
and I introduced the champagne tents and I'd be completely out of my face on stage because I was a performer then hosting to over half a million people and being completely out of my head. But nobody knew that minutes before I had my head down the toilet. So let's talk about taboos. If I said um, to at the board here, we cannot have cookies in the room, they would have walked out. It's okay to have cookies and cakes in the room, but if I said, if somebody said, let's have alcohol in the room or drugs in the room, there's no way they could be in there. Yeah. But you've got cookies out there in the room, and I can't say. No, that was another reason why I couldn't go into the rooms of 12 steps, because we know that those of you who identify as alcoholics, you were addicted to liquid sugar, and then you went on to solid sugar. And that solid sugar was everywhere. I, you know, once upon a time, I could not walk into the room and see food and not eat it and have my head down the toilet. Okay. So when we think about um, taboos, firstly, I want to look at, like, how can um, eating be an addiction? Often, you know, some people try and make it normal. You know, it's, oh, it's not, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's okay. But if we look at the four C's of addiction, craving, yeah. I had a lot of craving, craving for sugar, craving, craving for food, okay. And there was also, because I was uh, diagnosed as a bulimic anorectic, I was a failed anorectic, okay. So that means is that, you know, I was anorectic and actually, you know, my body was at a particular weight where it was unsociable, okay. And I couldn't, because I was cycling four hours a day and living on three crackers a day, my body couldn't cope with it. And I started binging. And, um, and then there is the compulsion, the compulsion, the other C, the compulsion, the compulsion to eat or the compulsion to restrict, the loss of control. Let me tell you about the the, the loss of control, and some of you will know this. I, we, we hear that, um, oh, well, it's different. If you're an alcoholic, it's very clear that, you know, you can't drink alcohol. Well, you've got a drink. The way I see it, it's like you've all got a drink, but there's one, al one drink that you can't drink, which is alcohol. For those of us who have food addictions, there are certain alcohols, okay? Sugar is one of my alcohols, and so, therefore, I have to renounce sugar because if I put sugar in my system, I lose complete control. I have an allergy to sugar. So I have to look at the labels. I have to look at the labels because it, it may be, it's, it's not like the first day I'm going to lose control, but after three or four days of having the sugar in my body, I'm in the sugar and I don't want to have my head down the toilet. What some people don't know, there is that uh, the other C is the using despite the consequences. When I started recording, um, re recording my food and I was throwing up 40 times a day. So I was throwing up more than that because it slowed down. And with a bulimic, it's not, you might binge and eat three tubs of, Kentucky chicken and blah 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 
or you might just eat one cookie because basically for a, a bulimic if you've decided you're only going to eat this and you eat one thing over that then it's a binge and you want to get rid of it okay so a binge can be one cookie okay but using despite negative consequences there was one day i'd been binging i had and we can't talk about binging and purging it's taboo and I had purge and food got lodged in my throat. And I'm jumping up and down by that toilet pan, trying to release the food. And somehow it released, I passed out. What was I doing 45 minutes later? Yeah, what was I doing? Eating and purging again, yeah. And what many people don't know for me that actually, it can be quite trance-like when you go on a binge. People don't know that, that we can be addicted to the altered states that actually happen when you're on a binge and balance things happen and everything's a bit distorted and there's only you and the food it's it's you 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 can't think about anything else it's blissful you just can't think about anything else and then when you purge then you go into another altered state and so some of us can just get addicted to just being in that trance-like state but we can't talk about that, yeah. We can't talk about the purging. We can't talk about the restricting. And often, you know, as, as we hear people say, for many of us, it's not really about the food. We know that there's a very high correlation between eating disorders. And when I say eating disorders, that's across the spectrum. So to compulsive eating, to people who are bulimic they're compulsive eaters um, but they get rid of the food through laxatives or throwing up to the person who's restricting okay so across that 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 spectrum and the there's a very high correlation between sexual abuse and eating disorders and I know that when I was on that trance like I was that kid going up to be abused and I was purging the filth out of me that was the shame, the shame of not being able to come into relationship with the sexual abuse that I had experienced. Also, there is that hatred of the body. I, I, I hated my body. I hated the color of my skin. And not just because white people um, did things for me not to like the color of my skin. Black people too, you know. I have um, a brother here in the room, Ralph. We're dark-skinned people. And in our community, the darker you are, the uglier you are. The fairer you are, the more beautiful you are. Yeah. So, you know, and, but we can't talk about that. So in a way, the, these taboos, it, you know, on the surface, you, you might see somebody who is, who is big and you think, oh, yeah, you point that finger that person doesn't know how to eat. Well, stop pointing that finger, okay? Because basically, you know, if somebody is big, it's not about them not knowing how to eat. It's about how to soothe ourselves. You know, I can remember reading a book and actually, it w in that book it was saying that food doesn't abandon us, food is like a lover. It's something that soothed us. Yeah, something. Many of us who had those eating disorders didn't get the love, didn't get that mother's milk, didn't get that soothing. 
and I still salivate. I can be in a restaurant, and I can be in a restaurant ordering the food, and I see a waiter or waitress walk by with plate. And what's that? And I want that. And I have to, my practice brings me back. You know, when I go into that room, I salivate. But now I know I salivate. And I'm at risk. So this thing of um, food addiction, it's, it's, for me, it was, when I was in active addiction, it was a hell realm. A complete hell realm. For me, as a bulimic, is secret. Nobody knows about it. And all the lying. You know, I could go somewhere and somebody would say, what happened to all that food? What happened to it? I had eaten it and thrown it up in the toilet. Sometimes I would break the, 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 break the plate and say, oh, well, it fell on the floor. There's this joke like, what's this? It's a bulimic in distress, trying to get the vomit down the plug sinkhole, the plug hole, you know? Um, and for me, I've never really spoken, you know, often people say to me, when are you going to write about food? And, you know, it's the first time that I've actually spoken a bit about this food addiction, about bulimia, because it's been the hardest thing for me to work with. It's been the hardest thing. You know, in terms of my um, abstinence, I haven't drank, you know, I, I did all my recovery in the rooms of Buddhism because at least when you went into rooms of Buddhism, there weren't the cakes and there weren't the cookies. So it was a safe space because I had to ban, to get myself well, I had to ban myself from going out anywhere socially because I literally, that cr I literally could not walk past a bakery without not being in the bakery and ordering all this stuff and walking out with this stuff, it just was not possible. So, um, one of my passions, I really, if there's one thing, if you ask me what I would want to do, and that is to open up uh, a, a rehab or whatever, specifically around eating disorders. I mean, you know, going to, uh, I went to FA, I mean, I'm, and, and it's like you couldn't talk unless you had abstinence for 40 days. The whole fucking reason why we're eating and stuffing food is because we've lost our voice, because we don't have our tears. And you're saying we cannot talk for 40 days. Yeah, because we have lost our voice. That I can remember going into a therapist's room and asking me, do I cry? No, but I cried in the food. That's where I did the crying. And so I was coming back to, in terms of my abstinence, um, I, it's been about 18 years that I haven't picked up alcohol. Alcohol was a gateway, was a gateway drug. If I drank alcohol, I would be in the food. Alcohol had to go. You know, I'd say the, the hard drugs, I was an upper person. I let go of those 17 years ago. With the food, I stepped onto that path 15 years ago. And for the first two years, I um, didn't purge or anything. And then I got into just, just once a year. Just once a year, I'd have slip and I'd purge, you know. And I just, just once a year. 
often be at an airport. An airport is a terrible place for somebody who's got food addictions. Terrible, terrible place. And you know what? I had somebody. It was somebody. It was two years ago. Actually, I'd say I do have a date. It was two years ago. Somebody who came here and they reached out to me after and said, will you mentor me through the eight steps around um, bulimia? Because I throw up around every three months. And I remember thinking, well, I still do it once a year. But I took it on and I never told, I've told her now, she got me completely sober because from that point, I have not thrown up because she made me work my program. And I, and I just told her recently, I just said, this is, you know, you, you need to know that. You know, I couldn't tell you at the time, you know. And the last thing I'll say is that do not minimize. When somebody says something is a, an addiction, do not minimize. For me, I had a obsession with raw cashew nuts. Had to be raw, an obsession with raw cashew nuts. And somebody pointed out mother's milk, they were creamy, because when I first allowed myself to give me food, it was a banana and raw cashew nuts. That's what I would allow myself to eat. And, you know, over the years, it would be seaweed. I got into seaweed. Can you be obsessed, obsessed with seaweed? It's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was a chronic chewing gummer. And I can remember when I was a chronic chewing gum, I remember um, being on a retreat. And I remember the teacher saying, have you felt the pain of letting go of chewing gum? And I'm like, give me a break. The pain of letting go of chewing gum. Anyway, I did let go of chewing gum and I didn't really feel the pain. But raw cashew nuts, I'm telling you, raw. I've not eaten raw cashew nuts for about, um, it's nearly a year. But the pain of letting go of those raw cashew nuts. I sat on retreat nearly two years ago and I touched into the grief. It was like letting go of a bad lover. It really was the grief and the pain. I couldn't, it was so much. Again, answering your question, it was so much. I had to take time out and distract myself because it was so painful, but I knew I had to come back to it. So in that answer to your question, sometimes there is a place to escape if we know it's time out that actually we need to take time out from the discomfort because it's so painful, it will overwhelm us and we'll get into the thoughts. And once we get into the thoughts, we've lost it. So I think there is a place for escape and I needed to take time out because it was so painful. And so I still, you know, would have the nuts, but I came back to it at a time when I was able to, and it was painful letting go of it but if you know you know this is the last thing i say with food Pe people are weird it's like you tell them you have an issue with cashew nuts i went to a friend's house and in the room they had a bag of nuts for me you know yeah you tell people that you have an addiction go on have the cake go on people will put it in your hand go on and so we have to give it back yet that there's a real education around this because for those of us who have food addiction, you can often collude with it. And it's so hard to say no. You know, it's so hard to say no. So this is for me while food addiction, and there's more, it's like with body, that goes into the taboo. It's like if you're really 
underweight it's a taboo if you're seen as really overweight it's 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 a taboo and then that whole thing of getting better you know I had to learn to be bigger in the world and I still struggle with being bigger in the world and I've had friends who've had to learn to become smaller in the world because we know the world changes how I was treated when I was like that is very different to how I'm treated now and how somebody who's treated like this is very different when they get smaller. I've had friends who have actually had the surgery to help them lose that body weight and then they have not been able to cope with being smaller in the world because the world begins to treat them differently. The world treats us in the way that we look. Just like when I walk on the street, the world treats me because of my black skin. Yeah, The world will treat you, we, we see men on the street and the world will treat you because you are a male on the street. And the world will treat somebody who is seen as big, they will treat them in a particular way. And it's unconscious. You think you don't do it, but you do do it. If I did, if I did an unconscious bias um, exercise on you, how many big people do you have close in your life out of, if you counted 10 people you trust how many big people do you have close in your life how many black people do you have close in your life how many trans people do you have close in your life how many people do you have in your life who are differently abled yeah and that's the world we move in and that's our unconscious bias and we all have it thank you Thank you so much. So beautiful. Um, I almost feel like I don't want to say anything because I just want to let you <laughs> let your words rest. Um, one of the things that I do for myself, um, and I'll just offer this, is kind of is a body, the meta on the body. And as I'm getting older, and I have, I was anorexic, and as was my daughter, and many of my clients suffer body images, body. Um, issues so it's bringing that to the actual physicalness just holding holding the f the folds and the you know whatever we have judgment about so really bringing it to the body so i'm just going to offer that as, as as something in addition thank you thank you also I, again being connected more to the dharma and being maybe a little bit wiser. A few months ago, uh, my doctor in Seattle said, you have diabetes, you have type two diabetes. And my first thought internally was, oh shit. But my second thought, which I voiced was wonderful. This is great. Because of what it forced me to do which I've done ever since, is I look at the ingredients of everything I eat and drink. I don't drink soda. I've never particularly liked it. But um, we have lots of cookies back there. And I've been bad. I've had some of them. and I'm, But it isn't really bad. 
because I've been aware I can eat two, and that's going to be it. I have a friend who has been diabetic for many years, and what they said was moderation in all things. And so I'm very, very careful, and I avoid sugar as much as I possibly can and certain carbs, no more pasta. But you know what? I feel a lot better, and I'm being very, very mindful of what I eat and I drink. And for me, at this stage of my life, that is a real gift of awareness. Hi, I'm, I'm Amanda. I just want to say that um, I think that you're um, sharing, I have tremendous gratitude and that I've, I've had um, members of my Sangha um, also bring this up. And I just want to say that I think it's important to remember that there, there is also privilege even within our community and that that's an example. Hi, I'm Stevie, and thank you so much um, for speaking about this. I feel like I've been shaking this whole time because I was like so excited to hear someone talk about eating disorders um, in these groups. And this is um, one of my like one of the longest journeys that I've been on, besides things having to do with drugs and alcohol, um, has been with eating disorder and um, all the different iterations of that. And um, it's just so grateful to hear you speak about it and to start to open up this conversation about like what does it look like? And I think some of the things that you mentioned, especially um, that has really been a big part of the way that I've come to understand a lot of stuff in this realm that we're talking about that has to do with eating disorders and food and body is around secrecy and around, um, you know, and also around like how the world views the thing that we're doing. And um, for me, like that's a big part of it. When you have a topic that's taboo, like we're talking about the taboo addictions, um, you know, secrecy is like such a big, plays such a big role in that. Um, and also like the way that culture defines what's normal and what's taboo and what's not and what's acceptable and what's not. And I really appreciated it what you shared about that, because I do think that when we do talk about this, especially for me, when I talk about things having to do with eating disorders, I can't ignore the fact that we live in a fat phobic culture. Like we live in a very fat hating culture, just the same way that we live in a culture that's racist and transphobic and homophobic. And so it, pretending that these things don't exist in that context um, changes the way that we interact with them. And like, I personally like don't, I personally like have an issue with even talking about f like f being a food addict because it's we have to eat it's like the it's like breathing it's like being like a breathing addict like we have to eat um <laughs> and for me like I've spent so many times in different groups around eating stuff all, all so many different kinds um every 12-step eating related program available I've been a part of at some point and um as well as treatment and other things and so um some things that I've learned about the things that those have in common that I feel like are really important is that, um, you know, eating disorders do morph. And like you said, it's a spectrum. And um, just the way that addictions can morph, um, you know, a lot of people in our culture can get flack for being of a certain size. Um, and I've had so many people tell me how healthy I am when I was like afraid 
of eating a certain food and only eating these foods because like it was the only thing that I felt like I was allowed to eat and how much encouragement and support and love that I received from people when I would lose weight and how many and how different that was when my body changed and um and really talking about these things in their context I think is really huge I'm really grateful that this topic has been brought up it's a huge part of my life it's like probably one of the things I work with on a daily basis um and I would really like to see the conversation continue and and, and also what someone mentioned like if it's not something that we have experience with, to really allow the people that have experience with those things to to talk about what that's like and the things that are working for them. Because I've met so many people that have different things that work for them with their relationship with food and body image. Um, and it's really easy, I think, for me to want to project what works for me onto someone else or what works for someone else, like to feel threatened by that, that worked for you and that can't work for me. Um, but this is a big one, I think, where it's like a lot of these process addictions like we have to kind of navigate on our own and really determining like some people mentioned like what is balance what are the boundaries that I need in order to support my recovery what are the things that pull me out of um, being in relationship with other people or connecting and so I just really appreciate this topic and all of these thank you I just wanted to let everyone listening in know uh, that we will be taking a break from releasing content in January. This has been a really exciting year and I am just lucky and honored to have been able to produce and release all of the content that we have this year and I just need to take a break in order to kind of regroup and organize, plan, record some new content for the new year. Um, some of the new content ideas that we have right now include more interviews, more Dharma talks, peer panels. Um, if you would like to be involved in any way, please contact us and I will post my email in the description. Again, happy holidays, everyone, and take care of yourself. May we all find time to reflect on the past year and move into the next one with more wisdom than we had in the last. May we find stillness in the chaos and develop more peace in our lives.